What if, with the right mindset, anything is possible? Join us now and find out how. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka is here to inspire you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, Marla is here to inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power with the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, she'll share heartwarming stories, teach you tips and tricks to building a successful business, plus how to unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset. And now, here's your host, Marla Tabaka. And welcome to the Million Dollar Mindset. This is Marla Tabaka, and always, I am thrilled to be here with you today. So we may have an interesting show today because I'm told that our guest is not answering his phone. How interesting is that? (laughs) So we may just find that I will be talking to you about goodness knows what. Today's guest is supposed to be Michael Vaughn, and we're going to keep trying Michael over there and see if we can't get him on the line. So meanwhile, I think we're going to talk about one of my articles over on Inc., which you know how much I love to do, just talk about the things I love to write, because I know that they help the people who are reading them, because that's what they tell me. So we're just going to go on and take a look at last week's article, and it's kind of an interesting um, topic. It's about how to make a whole home meeting into a success. And I'll tell you, this was this was kind of started by the article was by um, the fact that a client came into her call a few weeks back and and she said, you know, we're having a team meeting and nobody seems to want to come. Nobody wants to participate with these weekly meetings. And that's something that I'm always talking to my clients about, how critical it is that weekly meetings are are kept up with. Because if you don't have that camaraderie and you don't have that, you know, the updating and the communication going on between you and your um, your team – well, then you're not going to get, have a cohesive business in place, and that's always a problem. So I'm going to pause here and send Casey, our wonderful producer, another phone number to try our guest on because I'm really excited to have this guy on the phone. So Casey, why don't you give that one a try and see what happens there. So let's go back to here. So, you know, the weekly meetings – are really important. Entrepreneurs are consistently complaining to me that their team isn't on board, that one hand doesn't know what the other is doing, and that they're not um, they're not just on top of productivity and clients. That you gotta you gotta do that. You gotta do those weekly meetings. So. One of the warnings that I give my clients when people are resistant to coming to these meetings is that the meetings could be boring, unproductive, and a total waste of time. Who wants to come to a bad meeting? Who wants to come to a meeting that just drones on and on and on and doesn't get to the results? Quite some time ago, I coached a gal who was not the owner of her company. She was, um, 
was what level was she at? I think she was at a director position in a small company with only ten employees. And uh, she was awesome and the company was awesome. But the entrepreneur herself really loved visiting and chatting an awful lot. And so these meetings, these virtual meetings would occur. They'd all get on the phone and she would spend about 20 minutes talking with just a little click of about two or three other women about their kids and about menopause and about all these topics that not everybody wants to hear of. And and so what happened is people just started making excuses that they couldn't come to the meetings. Boring, unproductive, and a waste of time. If you're not leaving your meetings feeling energized and you don't see that your employees are curious and kind of more excited to face the day and feeling accomplished with what they've achieved in the last weeks, well, then you might want to take another look at your meetings and and think about how you can make them more fun because this may be all your fault, all right? But don't worry, don't worry. Not everyone is a master at meetings. There is a secret sauce for a great meeting, one that employees will look forward to and will bring you outstanding results. And it boils down to making sure that your meetings achieve a meaningful objective within a set time, meaning have a time limit on your meetings. If they're a half hour, keep them to a half hour. If they're an hour, keep them to a ha- an hour. If it's just a five-minute quick little update, well, then you're going to have to keep it to five minutes. But make sure that you you know, determine what is a good length of time for your meetings and stick with it. Keep your employees or whoever is in this type of meeting that you're focusing on right now as we're talking, keep them involved in the meeting. Don't be a talking head. And hold a touch of the unpredictable in your meeting. Now, I am told that our wonderful guest is here with us today, so I'm so excited that we have gotten a hold of Michael. So we're going to continue this talk on meetings. I gave you a few quick tips there, and hopefully those will hold you over. But you can go see this article right on over at inc.com slash author slash Marla hyphen tabaka. And the name of it is Seven Steps to Turn a Ho-Hum Meeting into a Success because there's a lot more there for you. But I hope I gave you some food of thought there as we turn over to today's actual topic. Michael, so glad we found you. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, let me give you a proper introduction, okay? So you listeners out there, for those of you who read my articles over on Inc. and listen to Million Dollar Mindset Radio regularly, you already know that I love all things brain science. I just do. I don't know why. Maybe it's a nerdy thing that Michael and I are into here, but whatever. Uh, so I'm very excited about bringing today's guest back to the show for an encore discussion on a fascinating topic called neural leadership. How can you use your brain to a fuller capacity or actually in a different way to become a better entrepreneur and leader? That's what we're here to learn more about today. It's truly an exciting time for brain science and business. New insights and discoveries about how the brain works are then our guest today, Michael Vaughn. Michael is the CEO of the Regis Company, the global provider of business simulations and experiential learning programs, and he's also the author of a really cool new book called The Energy Effect, 
Rethinking Thinking to Create Great Leaders and the New Value Worker. So, Michael, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the Million Dollar Mindset. Thanks for being here today. Oh, absolutely. I just love being part of the show. So, thank you. Oh, thank you, Michael. So I'm enjoying reading your book. I haven't gotten very far along because I received it not long ago, but it's awesome. And you talk about the new set of challenges that business owners and managers are facing today. Tell us more about those challenges, where they come from, and uh, how this leads into neuroleadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you already made a great point around uh, the number of discoveries that uh, is just happening out of neuroscience. I mean, if you think about it, in the big picture, you know, over the last hundred years, uh, there's certainly been a lot of discoveries and insights, but it's really the last five years that there have just been a significant amount of uh, changes into specifically helping leaders uh, gain insights from everything from how do they work with their teams, how do they manage their own energy, how do they become better decision makers, better problem solvers, how do they learn how to collaborate better. Uh, so those are a lot of things that uh, we've, we've covered in our research. Mm-hmm. Does this, you know, I read, I research a lot about millennial, the millennial generation. Do you find that in that generation particularly, it's, it's difficult for them to get away from that cloud of information that they were raised on with, with a different unit in each hand, you know, some sort of a gadget in each hand? Boy, I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, it's just been really interesting is uh, studying multitasking. Mm-hmm. And if you look at almost... Uh, Every study done, especially the last couple of years, it really shows that people are not optimized for multitasking. We're optimized for task switching. And what that means is we have to switch between tasks. So we unload, reload, and re-anchor. Unload, reload, and re-anchor to kind of the new task. And granted, we can do that fast, but if you can imagine unloading, reloading, and anchoring throughout the day, that what a toll it takes on you mentally and emotionally, mm-hmm. but even worse, it really shows uh, a decrease in your productivity. Uh, it even shows that the young kids, the millennials, who are multitasking more are actually worse at multitasking than mm-hmm. some people who just dabble in multitasking, which I, I find very interesting. Yeah, certainly. I know. I always tell my uh, clients who may be the hiring managers that, you know, when you see multitasking on a resume nowadays, warning, warning, it's not considered such a hot thing anymore, right? No, not at all. It should be like, how do you really balance your day? You know, when are you more efficient? When, uh, what types of decisions and how do you approach decision making? I think those are a heck of a lot better questions and you're going to get the right people and not ones that can play on multiple devices at once. But I want to ask you this next question so we can start pondering it. Neuroleadership is an interesting term. Um, tell us, tell us what, what it means. What is neuroleadership? Yeah, so one of the things that, um, as we were doing our research over the last 10 years, uh, specifically using business simulations, uh, we really started picking up on a lot of habits of thought. And uh, we started then looking into the research, specifically in neuroscience, and it started to help us define these different, uh, I guess, neural leadership principles that help leaders become more effective, uh, specifically in the areas of problem solving and decision making and collaboration. Okay. All right. Great. So we're going to go into our first break of the show here. And when we come back, I'd love to talk about 
you know, in today's business landscape, what does every leader need to know about narrow leadership? How they how they can understand more about the brain science to use uh, what you're learning and what you're at the forefront of uh, to their advantage to become a, a better leader who uh, perhaps has stronger communication skills. Because as a business coach, that's one of the things that I see that leadership leaders today often um, lack in that area. So those are the things I'd love to talk about. We'll We'll be right back. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. It's time to uncover the inspired team leader within you. Overcome the challenges of hidden agendas and miscommunications that create stress and a lack of productivity. Project management expert Norm Prevost and connection expert Heather Hansen O'Neill will provide you with a consistent infusion of inspiration and team strategies. In addition, your hosts will invite knowledgeable leaders to inject different viewpoints, situations, and solutions for an all-encompassing perspective on achieving winning team performance. Spend one hour each Friday transforming your mindset and increasing your skills. The Inspired Team Leader Show, your path to innovative ideas and action items you can implement today to create a more productive team and feel amazing in your role. The Inspired Team Leader Show, heard every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time on ABRN, the All Business Radio Network. Are you fascinated by the stories behind the stories, the people behind their masks, the truth about people's failures and redemptions in both their business and personal lives? Then Off the Record Secrets of with host Judy Schreiner is for you. It's people's secrets that make them interesting, but very few folks are willing to reveal them unless they trust that their information will be treated with accuracy, fairness, and respect. People have been entrusting their secrets to longtime business journalist Judy Schreiner for the last 25 years. And now she's bringing her expertise and impressive contact list to Rockstar Radio Network. Tune in and call in as host Judy Schreiner talks to guests off the record as they reveal new secrets each Tuesday at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. We know that today's business leaders face an onslaught of challenges, and in, in a constantly changing environment, it's really, really tougher than ever to keep up with things and to continue to be a great leader. So we're here with author Michael Vaughn to talk about how you can cut through that noise and be the best leader you can be. And Michael, going into break, we talked about near leadership, the definition of it. And uh, I'd love to go into that a little bit deeper, if you would. Absolutely. So what... So- Go ahead, go right ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, a few of the areas that really, you know, come to mind and uh, that I think about, especially a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, and how 
how when we're thinking about our business, how when we're thinking about how we connect with others and so forth. Um, you know, some of the things that I think we often overlook is just our own health, uh, our own uh, taking time just to get our own mind straight. And uh, I know for myself and, you know, building three different companies um, over the last 20 years, uh, you know, you, you want to do everything and you want to kind of manage everything. But at some point, um, not only does that obviously uh, erode kind of the, the morale, it certainly can erode your energy and make you a lot less productive. And so one of the things we've been studying pretty extensively is just how how to help leaders start. How can I take time away? You know, if I do that, you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Where do they begin? Yeah, it's a, you know, the one thing that I had to just personally do um, was think about when I'm most effective. And, uh, you know, is it the mornings, is it the afternoons, or so forth. And then uh, really kind of figured out, okay, that's the time. I'm going to have my most important meetings. That's the ones I'm going to have my management team in. That's the ones we're going to take on our biggest client challenge. And so that that's a pretty easy one for leaders to do because that's where they should be spending most of their time anyway. And then I look at some of those other parts of my day and say, okay, well, I'm not as effective maybe in some of my decision-making, but where, where else can I be effective? Maybe that's the time I do some of my planning or uh, more administrative types of tasks uh, during that time. And so, uh, again, those aren't things that should take a lot of people's time to do. It's, 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 it's probably at top of mind of a, an executive anyway. It's just a matter of just doing it. Otherwise, we get in these awful vicious cycles. You know, the idea is, you know, you don't sleep much, and then you drink coffee, and then you're high on the coffee all day, and then at night you have the wine, and then that impacts your sleep. And that just creates this awful vicious cycle. And so it really, you know, to be a great leader you got to break away from those vicious cycles and, you know, really start establishing more of those virtuous cycles. In your book, Michael, you talk about something that you call um, value skills. Could you tell us more about value skills? Yeah, one of the things what, uh, we were looking at um, being a training organization, so we work with uh, pretty much top executives of Fortune 500 companies all over the world. And what we've been doing is we put them into these simulations. And these, this is an environment, much like if you think of a flight simulator, we create a, a business simulator where these executives are running their company within the simulation. And they're making everything from sales, advertising, marketing types of decisions, operations decisions, and they see how those decisions play out. Now, it's not predictive, but it is to help them really think through their strategies, to think through uh, the bigger system, you know, that they're working in, they think through their market. And what we realized over the years is that um, instead of trying to boil the ocean and teach leaders all these different competencies, I mean, if you look at some of the competencies, they say to become a leader, you need, you know, these 64 competencies. And the smallest one I ever found was like 13 competencies. And the bottom line is I've never met a leader to even have more than five or 10 of those. I mean, wow. it's, it's just too darn hard to you know, do all those skills. So then what we decided to do is, well, what is it that makes a leader valuable? At the end of the day, um, how is a leader's value really going to be measured? You know, if the board is sitting there looking at their performance, they're going to be looking at, did this leader make good decisions? Mm -hmm. And were, were they able to solve the real difficult problems, whether it means getting the products to market or whether it means expanding into a new market? Uh, dealing with a client issue. So it's the types of problems. And then at the end of the day, a leader is really is only as good as our team. 
And so it's around how well did they collaborate. You know, most of our audience here in Million Dollar Mind Cities is a, is a small micro, actually, even solopreneur uh, type of business owner. But for those with employees, we aren't all blessed enough to have a Regis company behind us. <laughs> so <laughs> wish we were. Um, what are some of the things that, you know, an entrepreneur who, who doesn't necessarily have a right-hand person to work with and, you know, has a small team, what are some of the things they can do to better improve their their skills and those value sets and such yeah you know um, if we look at just some of the basic things from kind of the neural leadership one is uh, is around just the social need of the brain um, you know if you look at uh, Matt Lieberman's out of UCLA he's written some wonderful books around this and he, he really talks about the brain is predominantly wired in a social context and so you know a lot of times as leaders um, we kind of forget about that. And because we're so busy trying to, you know, keep the tasks and do the, you know, the things in front of us, we forget about the important. I think that would be one important area. I'm trying to think of another might be, you know, when you do have a few employees, um, a big one that we see is kind of this balancing the need for autonomy. Uh, Leaders like to have their hands in everything. So we tend to try to micromanage a lot of things. And what we're inevitably doing is really, eroding someone else's autonomy. Uh, People need and desire that autonomy. Now, at the same time, uh, too much autonomy is not good either. So that's where good leadership really comes in, is trying to balance um, how much freedom you give people, but also how much clarity and direction of your expectations that they need to be successful within the autonomy you give them. So those are two very important uh, areas that we've really seen that are directly tied to kind of the brain science. Mm-hmm. Okay. And another topic that you talk about in your book that I find interesting, in fact, you and I collaborated on an article for Inc. Magazine on this a, a little while back, um, common derailers that strongly impacted individuals' ability to learn and think. And one of the derailers that you talk about is fear, which, you know, is just, I mean, people don't want to admit it, right? But it's prevalent, especially in um high-risk enterprises, and uh, entrepreneurialism is certainly one of those. So let's talk about a little bit about the most common forms of fear that you encounter when you're working with your clients and, and in your research and how an employer can, A, face that fear head-on and, and B, or whatever you recommend, and, and B, help their teams to be more aware and not go down the rabbit hole. You bet. Yeah, no, fear's a big one. And, you know, like uh-huh. I mentioned, this is my third company, and Regis is now pretty stable and, and growing nicely. And I'll tell you, there's probably not a day that I still don't have fear. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it doesn't it doesn't go away. It, uh, it just takes different forms. Um, you know, certainly blessed with a lot of amazing people around me. So, uh, but the fears are still there. Everything from, you know, you're always thinking about cash and cash flow. You're always thinking about clients and bringing on new clients. You're always thinking about the pipeline and burning down the backlog. You're thinking about the quality of the products. I mean, there's, there's always something to worry about. Um, but what we have found that, you know, when you're faced with the fear, it's always going to be there. Uh, so you, you can't just get rid of it. Uh, but you can do something. With, it's called reappraisal or reframing. And what we found is when leaders can almost kind of separate themselves from that fear. And sometimes we call it going, you know, taking higher ground or going to the balcony, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. And what that means is you kind of separate yourself from being in the middle of that fear or, you know, that issue and taking on a new perspective. You know, what's another way to look at it? Look at it from the client's perspective. Look at it from a board member's perspective. Look at it from an employee's perspective and just trying to gain those different perspectives. And sometimes just merely separating yourself and reframing it, you know, not, not putting it in the negative terms, but not necessarily putting the positive either to spend a certain way of looking at this. Um, the words that we choose to use as leaders are so powerful in just defining our own thinking and defining those around us. So that reframing is a very powerful technique for dealing with the fear. Yeah, it really is. And and when I'm working with an individual, I I like to take them to the place that they don't like to go so much, but asking the question, okay, what is the worst possible thing that can happen? Because yep. when we really go down that path and we look at the worst possible thing that can happen, we realize, you know what, it's not so bad. <laughs> but, you know, we spend this time just sort of, uh, it's it's disproportionate to, to, to what is reality uh, after we mull it around in our brain for so long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, isn't it amazing how we, we create much bigger stories in our mind than we create in, uh, in the real world. Yeah, 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 we're we're all probably really, really guilty of that one, and um, and so it's important too. I think when we come back, I'd, I'd love your insight on this if you have any about um, dealing with employees when when you know things may not or they perceive things aren't going so so well with the company, and uh, how to how to help employees to stay present and not get carried away and start uh, worrying about their jobs or, or however we can, you know, put that, whatever kinds of things you might see, because that's an important one for us. So we are going to go into break and we'll be back after this break with Michael Vaughn. And uh, you can learn more about Regis Company at Regis, R-E-G-I-S, company.com. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Are you ready to start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? 
Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And we're here today with the author of The Thinking Effect, Rethinking Thinking, to create great leaders and a new value worker. Michael, the other day I was working with a client who has about seven or eight employees. And um, things, you know, things have taken a downturn for her, unfortunately. And and the employees are really frightened. And we're on the topic of fear. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe we could get some insight from you on how she might manage these employees during a time where there are some difficult things going on. Yeah, sure, boy. Uh, that that is always the toughest uh, position to be in as a, as a leader. So, certainly empathize with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I found um, for all size organizations is all people have a deep need for security. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how tough they might act on the outward, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, inwardly, we all need to feel some sense of security. You know, our, our brain that way and. Uh, you may have heard of uh, the amygdala and, or the fight right. flight uh, response. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. there's this whole concept called the amygdala hijacking, which basically means that uh, uh, in any situations, whether it's we're talking with somebody and depending on their tonality or we're walking in the woods and we hear something rustle uh, in the bushes, our amygdala immediately takes over. And the hijacking means is, you know, what what kind of response are we going to give to that uh, that event that's unfolding there. Mm-hmm. And bottom line is that uh, the good part about the amygdala is that that's what's, you know, sometimes saves us in a dangerous situation, but it's also something that uh, can create problems in the workplace when people don't have that sense of security and they're hearing kind of the rumblings, if you will, and they're uh, not really clear on kind of where things are going and they're not sure of the expectations. Um, that puts us into a state where we're become very um, fear orient, fear oriented, and so you know some of the recommendations there is one is uh, transparency. You know that's the best way to be uh, with employees. So my recommendation would be get together with all of them and be transparent. You know share your own fears and your anxieties because when you open up with them, they'll open up. And what's amazing is then you have an opportunity to kind of reframe the situation. And perhaps as a team, they can come up with new ways of thinking about their business. Maybe it's changing their business model. Maybe it's changing how they're approaching an existing client. Uh, But as long as they have that fear and that insecurity, uh, it's going to be really, really hard for anyone to come up with any really good, viable opportunities on how to change things. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's important to go in there and really bring it all out into the open, which a lot of leaders, um, I I find, are very hesitant to do. 
Uh, so. Absolutely. I, I struggle with it to this day, and I know this research. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, it makes you feel like, gosh, are people going to think I'm weak? Are they going to think I'm, right. I should know this already? Are they, you know, what are they going to think? And bottom line is, again, you know, we're not very good at predicting, and, and most of our predictions are inaccurate. And bottom line, when people see that, you know, you are honestly trying to work hard to figure this out and you're being straight with them, they, they most of them, start to help pitch in and come up with solutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about different ways of thinking here, which takes me to a part of your book I I really enjoyed, um, critical thinking, systems thinking, and creative thinking, and uh, what those different types of thinking are and and when is an appropriate time to, to use each one. Can you go into those three areas for us? Sure. Yeah. One of the things, and we call those the core abilities, and we call them the core abilities because we believe that every person has these abilities. Uh, now, we've probably developed one or two of them uh, a little more so over the years than others. Um, but what we found is that when a leader kind of looks at all three of them and tries to figure out where their strengths and a lot more effective in their leadership, a lot more effective at the value skills that we talked about earlier. So, for example, the way we think about things is critical thinking is really honing in on the information that's important to your business. Um, There's so much information out there. And with big data right around the corner, we're only going to get more and more information. And the hard part uh, of being a good leader is really knowing what to focus on and what to kind of filter out or at least put on the back burner. That's the critical thinking. The creative thinking is really coming up with courses of action. So now that you've been able to hone in on the important data, what might be the ways you can use that data? What, you know, how would you apply that to the business, apply that to an engagement or client? And that's the creative thinking. And to keep both of those in balance is where systems thinking comes in. And that's kind of taking a kind of a big picture viewpoint and thinking about both the short-term and long-term consequences of any of those courses of actions that you've come up with. So think about systems thinking as kind of the fulcrum between uh, critical and creative thinking. Mm-hmm. So is there uh, a part, uh, you know, something in your experience with clients or in your research that you can share with us to give us an example of how this process of, of weighing in on different way, ways of thinking uh, solved the problem or got us to the next level? Sure. Yeah, and probably the best way to give some examples is more what we observe in our business simulations. Okay. So, again, when we put uh, executives into these simulations, uh, a lot of times we put them together as teams, and we give them tons of information, lots of information, everything from financial uh, reports to market analysis. And so that's where the critical thinking really comes in. And so that's where helping them learn on to learn what to really focus on. You know, what's, what's a risk, what's an opportunity, uh, what could be a significant issue if not addressed, and so forth. So they get a chance to kind of practice some of those skills. Um, the other things that we've seen is in the simulations is really around the systems thinking, where a lot of times uh, leaders, um, no matter the size of the company, quite frankly, is when things become more complex or the time delay between when I'm making a decision and when I'll actually see the results of that decision, when that delay is longer, uh, people really start to resort to guessing. Um, and it's, it's amazing. You'll, you'll see some people from uh, some amazing backgrounds with credentials you can't believe and running a 
pretty significant piece of a business and they're guessing. And, uh, and so, uh, so part of what we're trying to do is help people, uh, kind of figure out what is putting them into that state where they feel like they have to start guessing. Um, what could they do differently, uh, to maybe approach that problem a little differently, regardless of that time delay that they're, they're facing. And so that, that's where we're trying to apply those skills. So we haven't done as much maybe out on the workplace as much as we've done in the simulations. Okay. And so it takes me to another client I once worked with because um, we're looking at guessing. And her product was out on the market doing very, very, very well. And then a few things changed in the stores and in the marketplace. And all of a sudden her product wasn't doing very well. It was an apparel product. And, of course, you know, she felt like she could only guess at what types of changes she would have to make in order to, to, to bring this product back into the consumer's eye. Um, how, how would you work with someone like that to help them more, make more educated guesses or to, to create a strategy that, that would make sense? Yeah, that, that, that's always a, a tough one because, you know, a, a simple response would be, you know, why not put together, you know, consumer groups and and put the product down in front of them and get feedback from them? You know, so that is kind of a strategy, but sometimes that's costly and, you know, might not give you the insights that you're really looking for. Um, so, you know, that it is what were the underlying dynamics in the stores that changed before, you know, that first off made the product successful and then what what actually changed that changed the direction of the product. And when, we, when we're saying the underlying dynamics is, was it a consumer thing? Was there another product? Was it a features? You know, and just try to really unpack all the things that led up to that and really understand that because then that's going to help you be more informed of what do you really need to change or how do you maybe even just need to reposition it, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the process we went through. So, um Yeah. You've got to be much more informed. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. All right. So, Michael, we, we talked, um, actually, we have here that you have to offer five quick tips for using your brain to become a better leader. Uh, we just have about two minutes to break, but can we maybe go into some of those tips? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the core thinking practices. Quickly just rattle them off and then we can go into more detail is uh, one is uh, seek to understand the big picture. The next one is seek to understand the underlying dynamics. And then those two are really kind of focused on what we call are the business dynamics. And then the other next two is uh, seek to surface surface limiting beliefs. So that's like your bias, your fears, your, your flawed mental models. The next one is seek to uh, evolve a shared vision. And then the last, the fifth one is called seek uh, to create systemic change. So those are the five core thinking practices that we uh, try to teach people. So when they're outside of the simulations in the real world and they're confronted with a complex problem or a pretty difficult decision, uh, they use the core thinking practices along with some what are called guideposts, which are a whole series of uh, questions that are associated with each of the practices to help them uh, process and hopefully make a better decision. Okay, perfect. So we are going to go into break. And I'd like to remind everyone, if you would, visit me over on Inc. 
and uh, check out the rest of what we were talking about at the top of the show, the seven steps to turn your ho-hum meetings into a success because Business Coach here is telling you, you got to have those staff meetings. And so if your employees don't want to come to them and don't come willingly, you might take a look at uh, how you're holding those meetings and how you're conducting them and, and what's going on with those meetings. And so wake them up a little bit, give them a dose of the unexpected, get them involved and uh, and hold a good meeting, a good productive meeting, and you'll see a huge difference in your business. You will. Those weekly meetings can make all the difference in the world. So we will be back with Michael Vaughn right after this break. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Join us for Healing with the Marika Method. This is an amazingly informative show to help heal people as well as their horses, dogs, and cats. This show inspires and empowers people to take charge of their own health and their animals' health using the power of diet, nutrition, natural medicines, and lifestyle to heal a variety of health problems. Learn how food impacts all physical and emotional health conditions and how diet and natural medicines are used to heal the body, mind, and spirit. Marika is a health and nutrition specialist, homeopathic practitioner, a gifted medical intuitive and healer, and an author and educator with over two decades of experience in clinical practice for people and their pets. Join our, 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 our host, Marika Vandewater, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. And thanks for joining me here today with Michael Vaughn, the CEO of the Regis Company. Michael, going into break, we're talking about the core competencies, seek to understand the big picture and so on. Tell us more about each of those, if you will. Sure, yeah. And actually, it was uh, interesting, uh, just before break, you were talking about the, the need for uh, 
uh, the meetings. quick little meetings. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a little bit off tangent. I'll get uh, to the quick yeah. practices, but uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we implemented are uh, what we call our daily or weekly stand-up meetings. And uh, to your point, boy, they've just been invaluable. So across every project, uh, team leads or what we call product owners uh, have to host these daily stand-ups. And they're no more than 15 minutes, so Mm -hmm. it's held to 15 minutes. And the first few minutes is quick updates around the table, and everyone stands up, so there's no sitting down. So we kind of just set it by, you know, coming right in the meeting. You get your update done, talk about the barriers, and talk about some of the needs. And uh, just those quick little meetings have significantly improved the communication across the, the company. So yeah. certainly, yeah. certainly see the value in that. Yeah, it does. It 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 increases camaraderie and uh, stimulates creativity and communication. It's, I can't say enough about what it does. Oh, about the, neither you know, can I. Yeah. Oh, so point. yeah. Thanks for yeah. pitching in on that, supporting me on that because That's it's right. like pulling <laughs> teeth to get my clients to stick to those meetings. <laughs> oh gosh, they're invaluable. I went and I went and replaced them now, and it takes a while to get started. You know, that's yeah. the other thing. I remember the first month or so, it was hard to see the value. Uh, but if you stick with it, you stick to the 15 minutes, you stick to make sure it's a stand-up, and you stick to the agenda, uh, it really does pay dividends. So I highly like recommend that. it. I like that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Wonderful. Sure. So uh, core thinking practices. Um, again, uh, there, there are five of the practices. And again, we call them practices because it's not a tool. It's not a process or a methodology. It's really a way of thinking. And, and what I mean by that, it's a way of reframing problems and a way of asking good questions. And we actually talk a lot about good questions because we, we believe there are good and bad questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, a good question is really kind of to stimulate some good thinking. You know, if you think about how the brain is designed, it uh, you know, has a database of experiences. And if you ask it a bad question of, you know, why am I not losing weight, uh, the brain will sit there and say, well, because you're lazy. You know, it'll come up with these negative types of thoughts, and we call those kind of bad questions as opposed to a good question of, you know, what is it going to take to get uh, physically fit so I can become a better leader, for example, and the brain will start to come up with ideas for you, you know, get up. So uh, so those are, you know, learning how to act is kind of uh, fundamental to the core thinking practices. And then what the practices do is provide you a bunch of guideposts on helping you think through a lot of the typical problems leaders face. And uh, one of them, like I mentioned, is called uh, surfacing limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. And as leaders, we have lots of our own bias, you know, that have been shaped through our experiences over the years. And if you look at the research and things we've seen in our simulations, bias is pretty much one of the number one um, causes behind a lot of poor decisions. You know, we, we become very opinionated as leaders and we hold on to this bias and it feels so real to us, we can't understand how anyone else could think any differently. It's just so obvious right. to us. Well, that's typically not the case. And that's where us as leaders <coughs> excuse me, uh, need to learn how to suspend our judgment just even momentarily to you know, take on another perspective. And so uh, just in that one practice alone is how do we surface our bias? How do we surface our flawed mental models? Um, and as we're approaching a problem. You know, and and that to me in and of itself is a really interesting question because I find that you don't know what you don't know. 
you know, if you were raised in a household of of bigots, for instance, <laughs> you know, you expect that racial prejudice across the board. And it isn't until some point in your life when somebody finally tells you so that you realize, oh, that's not the way the world thinks. So how can we really learn to separate that bias and understand that it's 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 our paradigm? You know, that's where we're living and there's more outside of that. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And <clears throat> the truth of it is it's really hard yeah. because we have these bias and a lot of times we're not even aware that it's being applied to the information that we're receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're called blind spots, they're called whatever. And so really what you have to do is believe it's so darn important and, uh, and then having that coach or that management team help you look at it from different perspectives. And it's through that process that you'll become aware that, geez, I've been holding on to this thinking for a long time, and it might not be the best thing. And that's when you might be willing to replace it with a new way of thinking. So that's uh, that. It's more of a process. You, you just you can't all of a sudden tr- put a trigger and become aware of all your bias. Uh, otherwise, yeah. the world would be very different. Yeah, it does. Okay, what's our next one? So uh, let's see. Another one. I think that uh, tends to get brushed over pretty easily is that seek to evolve a shared vision. Um, Peter Singe in the fifth discipline um, spoke a lot about shared vision. And what he uh, wrote about is that uh, there's probably no more powerful force than a team with a shared vision. And boy, I agree so wholeheartedly with him, you know, as a leader of the years, there's a lot of times where, you know, I just want to push something forward. I know it needs to get done and want to get it done, and I kind of push. And a lot of times, you know, I'll get what I want, but that's short-term thinking. If uh, the times that I take the time to help, you know, evolve a shared vision, not just my vision, you know, having it really be shaped by the team, getting their input, their guidance, and where we own that vision, and then we continually evolve that vision as we learn more. You know, we're not trying to create the perfect vision. We're just trying to get something in motion and that we have an agreement that we will evolve it together. And when I've taken that approach, it takes a little more time up front, but the long-term results are just so far superior because we got a whole team that can now address any obstacle, any barrier that surfaces. And so that that as a leader, that's probably one of the most powerful things to do. But a lot of times we just don't make the time to make that happen. Yeah. I think it, you know, it, it takes that relationship, as you said earlier, with a mentor or a coach sometimes for a leader to move out of that, that place we know of as ego Mm -hmm. and to understand that, okay, this is your baby. This is your mission. This is your passion. This is your job, whatever it is but that it doesn't have to be your sole responsibility to evolve it and that it can be a shared vision, as you said, and and to allow in that that other input. from Because hopefully, if you're a great leader, you've surrounded yourself with great creative, right? And, and it's time to step into that. Absolutely. It's a great, great point. Yeah. All yeah. right. And so, um, okay. go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the other um, two core thinking practices, uh, the big picture and underlying dynamics, 
those are more focused on <clears throat> really trying to understand business problems, where the two first ones that I just went through. Um, so the seeking the big picture, what that really means is, um, as leaders, uh, it is so hard to not get involved in all the different aspects or parts of the business. Uh, yeah. But when we do that, we kind of do the business a, uh, a disservice because um, part of our role is to really maintain that big picture. And in our role, often we're privy to a lot of information others might not uh, be aware of. And we need to maintain the big picture so we can verify, validate that information we're receiving across the big picture. Um, and it goes back to kind of the systems thinking principles. You know, it's uh, in order to make systemic change, you have to understand the big picture. You can't just fix a part because in doing so, it might actually create another problem somewhere else in the business. And we call that, and actually Peter Singe called that a fix, a fix that fails. And where we go put Band-Aid or duct tape and we get mm -hmm. the immediate short-term result, but uh, it actually creates long stem in mind. You reduce the number of those quick fixes. And then um, the last one is really understanding the underlying dynamics. Um, a lot of times uh, as leaders, what we're looking at is the event. And, you know, we're looking at a final number, a KPI or a metric. And we're just kind of fixated on why is that number up or why is that number down? Um, a better question is to understand the relationships, the interdependencies of your business that led up or caused that event to happen. And then that's where us as leaders can find what we call the highest leverage point, the point in which we can make the smallest amount of effort to have the greatest amount of gain right. in our business. And that's by understanding the underlying dynamics. Right. Wonderful, wonderful core thinking practices to learn more about. Michael, where is the best place for our listeners to find you and, and, your, and your book? Yeah. So what I would recommend is going to uh, thethinkingeffect.com. A lot of good resources there. I'd be more than happy to take emails from there, too, where we can send you some additional materials. Beautiful. Thank you so much time for, so much for taking the time out of your busy day today, Michael. And uh, sorry we interrupted that, that lovely, peaceful walk you were on today. So I hope you get to go back and make up that, that little bit of space there. Um, thank you for joining us, Michael Vaughn. And thank you, everyone. We'll see you back here next week on The Million Dollar Mindset. And meanwhile, please make sure to head over to inc.com slash author slash Marla hyphen tobacco, or you can contact me at Marla at MarlaTabaka.com. Thank you for being a part of the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka on Toginet. If you've always known there was more out there for you, but you just weren't sure how to get there, 